Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. Lauren Swabish is an adult-focused speech-language pathologist who has been in the field for 20 years. She started her private practice during COVID and hasn't looked back. Although she loved her previous job, she describes herself as so much happier now and is loving working with adults with brain injuries, aphasia, and executive functioning deficits in her own private practice. Lauren got her start in the Start Your Private Practice program, and it has been wonderful to watch her get started and start to grow her private practice. In this episode, she talks about where she gets clients, where she sees clients, how she handles billing, and her plans to get more into consulting. If you've been thinking about starting an adult-focused private practice, this is a must-listen episode, so stay tuned. I'm Jenna Castro-Casbon, speech-language pathologist, business coach, and creator of the Start Your Private Practice system. And I'm on a mission to turn stuck SLPs into successful private practitioners. If you're tired of dealing with high productivity requirements, high caseload sizes, and low pay, it's time to take control of your professional, personal, and financial life and finally get the freedom, flexibility, and financial abundance that you deserve by working with private clients in your own practice. Join me here each week as I share tips, best practices, and inspirational interviews on the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. If you're a private practitioner or one in the making, you're in the right place, so let's get started. So before we dive in, can you please share your name, your location, and the name of your private practice? My name is Lauren Schwabich. I am located in McLean, Virginia, which is right outside of Washington, D.C., and my practice is NeuroSpeech Services. So, Lauren, I am so excited to have you on. I've gotten to know you a little bit. You were in the Start Your Private Practice program, and my goodness, have you grown from there. But before we kind of talk about what your private practice looks like now, can you take our listeners back to the beginning of your career and then also share at what point did you start thinking about private practice? Yes, I was really lucky because the last externship of my graduate program, I went to graduate school at Hunter College in New York City. And the last externship I had was in a hospital, a city hospital system. It had two campuses with a thousand beds each. And that's where I got my CFY and where I went on to be a staff speech pathologist. And I was there for five years. So I got to see everything. I saw trauma, ICU, trach and vent, rehab, skilled nursing facility, 
there was infectious disease, tropical disease, like you name it. It was really, it was the best place to grow. It was really out of my comfort zone as a person because I'd never been with a lot of the people that I worked with, but I loved it. And then I got married and we relocated to Washington, D.C. And there I got a position as a speech pathologist in um, on an acute inpatient rehabilitation service for a small hospital. It's part of a bigger hospital corporation. And I was there for 16 years. And it was funny because I came in with five years of experience. The day I got that job was I got the, the call from HR. I got promoted at the first job. So I was feeling great. So I turned down the promotion because I got this new job and I was moving. And I got to this hospital and they had just started this mentor program. And I was like, no, thanks. I'm good. And then once I was able to get over that, which was very quick, I just it was almost like my career was starting from a new level. And I just learned so much about stroke and brain injury and really medically complex cases And I went from being a staff speech pathologist to a rehabilitation clinical specialist. So I was part of a mentor team. So, you know, I'd resisted mentoring and then I became the mentor. And my job there was wonderful. I was seeing patients, but I was mostly part of a a team that would help with co-treatments, growing clinicians, education through in-services, program development. I had started a stroke education class there. I mean, I loved it. It was great. And then the pandemic happened. And for, I'm sure, many people, things were really bad at my hospital. They laid off about a third of our rehab team. And it was the first time where I was like, okay, maybe I'm going to be here my whole career, which I really honestly thought because people had been there. You know, it was such a great place that served such, and it still is, such high quality care a really exceptional neurorehabilitation, amazing reputation. I, I obviously thought I would be there forever, but the pandemic and the management and all of it, I really, it like caused me to stop and think. And that's when your Start Your Private Practice <laughs> ad showed up on my Facebook feed. And I was like, huh, I had never thought about it. But the problem was that and with I had 20 years of experience at this point, right? So like I'm a really seasoned clinician and every job I looked for was just not the right fit. There was nothing that was as good as what I was in. And so I really, I got excited about it because I knew I had the clinical chops to do it, but I had no business experience. And probably a lot of the stuff like Medicare, getting your tax ID, your all the stuff, right? I just, I really never would have thought about that. And when one of the things I really liked about the program was it gave me a linear path forward and this community to say like, no obstacle is, you know, impossible. And you can overcome anything. Like just here's the steps to do this. And like, if it gets hard, like call this person and they'll help you. And it was amazing. So I made the decision. And I, I also really was, I was, I went to go and see who else was doing what I was doing or what I wanted to do. I wasn't doing it yet. I wanted to do it. And there were only maybe in Virginia where I am, two speech therapists that I could find who were doing private practice, but not seeing my clients that I wanted to see, which was neuro and, and neuro re- sort of a cognitive communication. And then I talked to some other private practice owners and one I spoke to, she had gone on a temporary kind of retirement. She had a medical issue. 
she was seeing the kind of people I wanted to see. And she said, you will start and you will have a wait list before you know it. She said, there are so many people who need to see you. And, you know, between having the steps and the tools I felt I needed and that piece of information, I was like, okay, I can do this. Well, I love that because there is such a huge need, right? Especially for adult-focused private practitioners, like we can really be big fish in like small oceans, right? Because, you know, there's just not enough people to refer to. And kind of once your name starts to get out there, it really can take off pretty quickly. One of the things that I really loved that you highlighted about your story was that you were actually pretty happy at your job. Right. And I know that we have lots of people who like have never thought about private practice. They're happy or at least content at their job. And then either they, yes, maybe see my Facebook ad or hear me speak at something. And they're like, wait a minute, private practice. Like I could do that. Could you talk a little bit more about kind of what you were thinking internally in making that shift between like, no, I'm like, I'm an employee versus wait a minute, maybe I could actually be kind of like an entrepreneur. You know, it's funny. I only realized the stresses that I carried and not pandemic stresses, you know, just the stress of like, oh, I'm I'm sort of this mentor person who, you know, when when something goes south on the weekends, even if I was canceled, I didn't have to work on the weekends. I was having to carry some of that stress of like, you know, problem solving and who needs what and all of that. And I was seeing patients, but I was doing a lot of like administrative stuff and program management. And some of that stuff isn't always fun. And so when I started thinking about, you know, it's funny, sometimes I would work over like Christmas. I would take a lot of extra shifts because I don't celebrate Christmas. And so I would have these interactions with the patients that normally, you know, I was I was sort of popping in and covering, but I wasn't really carrying a caseload from start to finish. I really enjoyed those connections with those patients. You know, it was really, it felt special. And what happened when I ended up choosing to go into my own practice I experienced, first of all, like a weight was lifted off of my chest because suddenly all the things that I was having to deal with that were part of a bigger team were gone. But I had the privilege, and I still enjoy this, of meeting someone, telling them who I am, telling them what I can do for them, and really getting in to know what they're about and giving them strategies and tools to make whatever their situation is easier. That has been such an unexpected joy for me. And I'm so invigorated by the type of care I'm doing that when you're an entrepreneur, there's so much to worry about. There's the administrative stuff, the financial stuff. But I am so overjoyed every time I see someone. And it's really true. Like, I just love the clients I'm working with. They're the people I chose to work with. They want me. I want them. And so all of the headaches and the administrative stuff that builds up, it's not sufficient enough to stress me out. I mean, sometimes it is, but it's really not a burden because it enables me to do the kind of therapy that I absolutely love. Yeah, I love it. It's lighting you up. You're able to do your best work. And that's that's why we get into this profession, right? This is why we why we do this, why we're called to do this and and why we love it, especially when you can, you know, be your own boss and make all of your own kind of decisions that serve you and also that serve your clients, right? Okay, so you're going along, you know, the pandemic's happening, you know, things are getting weird in life. And, you know, you're now, you're joined the START program. What happened next? How did that transition kind of work for you? So the START program was, I had all the clinical experience, but none of the business experience. So the START was absolutely the reason why I'm here to talk to you today, because it was so step-by-step 
And there was definitely a sense of a resource. So what I did was I heeded the advice and I tried to find my niche, which was really easy because I I really felt like person-centered care and like participation approach to aphasia was sort of like I that was going to be my guiding force. And so the people who need that and who benefit from that are people who've had, you know, stroke and brain injury. And so I really sort of niched down and I thought, well, who are the people that are seeing those patients, right? And because I live in a metropolitan area, I have so many resources available, but I spent a lot of time networking and hustling to send out emails and calls. And I reached out to Georgetown University, which has a memory care research program that basically diagnoses individuals with mild cognitive impairment and dementia, made sure I connected with them. We have the Stroke Comeback Center, an amazing aphasia center. I reached out to them. I reached out to uh, neuropsychologists. Very smart move because they do a lot of the testing, but they don't do the therapy. So I connected with them. I connected with aging care managers who are, I didn't even know existed, but they are designed to help people age well at home. And so I've partnered with them and I've cared for some of their clients who are looking for maybe communication supports or memory supports in the home environment. So I really spent a lot of my time and I didn't talk to a single physician except for my own primary care doctor where I basically like hijacked my well visit. And I was like, would you refer to a speech pathologist who helps with, you know, cognitive impairment? And he has, which is great. But I didn't talk to a single doctor. But what has happened since that initial work is that doctors have found me. And now I have a steady relationship with some neurologists who just know what I do, know who I am, and people are coming my way. So I think a lot of that initial work of saying, let me find the people who are seeing my people. Let me get out there. Let me meet them has been enormously helpful because I really don't have to do any marketing. And I started my practice as like over a year and a half old. So I've I, I really haven't had to. I mean, I maintain connections with people, but people just keep finding me. Yeah. Well, for you, especially, it's a lot about the relationships, right? That's really, you know, the types of marketing that I talk about in the programs are like findability. So that's like having a good website, right? And making mm-hmm. sure that looking for you, that they can find you. Awareness is making sure that your community knows about you and that there's, you know, awareness in your local community, you know, health fairs or any kind of events like that. But relationships is really that referral-based marketing from, you know, physicians and specialists and other clinicians. And you're absolutely right. That's what I teach people in our programs is to find the overlap of the people who, you know, your favorite population is also someone else's favorite population who's in another profession, right? So meet those people so that you guys can, can refer to each other. So I absolutely love that. And it's particularly important for adult-focused private practitioners or any kind of specialist or, you know, more specialized type of clinician, right? Hi there, Jenna Castro-Casbon here, and I hope that you're loving the episode so far. Chances are you've been listening to this podcast for a while and soaking up a ton of information from myself and our guests, and it's time to make the shift from dreaming to doing and go from inspiration to implementation. Successful private practices don't build themselves. At The Independent Clinician, we help regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners using our proven systems. No more guessing, no more Googling, no more sleepless nights stressing about legalities. We can help you just like we've helped the guests featured on this show. They didn't guess or stress their way through private practice. 
Instead, they got step-by-step help along the way, and we're excited to help you too. If you need help to get set up and started with private clients on the side, the Start Your Private Practice program is perfect for you. If you've already started and you want to transition into full-time private practice and be successful once you're there, the Grow Your Private Practice program is your next step. To learn more about our programs, go to independentclinician.com. Now back to the episode. So what does your private practice look like these days? So one more thing I'll say, the website was a really good tip because I spent a lot of time on my website and now I'm an affiliate with the National Aphasia Association and a lot of people will find my website because I've highlighted, you know, my experience and my type of therapy that would that was energy very well spent. So just kind of agreeing with you on that one. So my private practice today, people can work with me three different ways. I am mobile. So I have a travel radius that I've been wisely making smaller because Northern Virginia has a lot of traffic. So I've been sort of, you know, prudent about that. But I do a lot of home visits. People can see me virtually. And that's been a shocker for me because I really did not think I would connect with people as well. But I had one of the most successful cases I had was a 93-year-old who had a stroke and he had aphasia and he lived way far away from me. I mean, hours away. And I was able to have him on the line and his daughter-in-law, who was a really wonderful support. She lives, you know, in a different part of Virginia and the the three of us could be together every time. And it was wildly successful. So mobile, virtual. And then I've started renting an office one day a week, three minutes from my house in a psychologist's office that's unused on Fridays. So Fridays are my day in office. I'm trying to see if I can do two days a week in office because the fact is for me to sit in one spot and have people come to me is just so easy. And so kind of taking away some of the travel and and doing that. And the clients that I see range from age 20 to 90, 90s, mostly have some sort of neurologic diagnosis. And that could be anywhere from a stroke to brain injury, including sort of chronic brain injury, post-concussion. So post-concussion syndrome. I have a lot of folks who have been just newly diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment, and they're very motivated to try to do whatever they can. And that's a real population. If there's anyone out there who's sort of thinking about going into an adult private practice, talk about a wonderful population because they're being diagnosed. They are oftentimes told by their doctors to come and see us in six months and we'll see if you're worse. And that is not an action plan my friends, it is not. And so my response is to say, okay, let's understand what mild cognitive impairment is. Let's help to take some fear away to let people know that this might be the space you're in and that dementia is not, you know, knocking on your door necessarily, right? Because I think a lot of people are really afraid. And so we just come in with some really great brain health education. We highlight and amplify what's going well in their lives, whether it's a fitness routine, social interactions, cognitive stimulation. We give them some strategies and send them on their way. And a lot of my mild cognitive impairment folks, sometimes they have all that they need or they want to keep working with me, but we've really met the requirements and I'm transitioning them to a cognitive wellness program where we're just having these visits as often as they want to see me. We're making sure their strategies are intact, but also Sometimes we're just troubleshooting a situation that comes up. It doesn't need a whole therapy program, right? They just need someone who's got 
you know, sort of eyes on the prize of removing obstacles, be it memory related or language related, so they can continue to move on with their days. So that's a real population. Again, never worked with them in the hospital. Or if I did, they had some other bigger problem. And I've come to find them. And I really think that that is a that's a market for speech pathologists. Truly. Absolutely. Especially really functional speech pathologists. Right. That's Mm -hmm. oh yeah. if If you're either in the home or you're, you know, you're kind of really involved you know, that's what people need, right? They need people who can problem solve like in their own kitchen, right? Or, or whatever. That's a it's, great thing. Yeah. I was always mobile too. And I think it's a great way to do it. It is. I mean, I think people are so there's, you know, the pandemic is, believe it or not, still a consideration for some folks. And so, you know, having to wear a mask to go to an office, um, if you've had a neurologic injury and you cannot drive, you know, transportation is limited is you remove so much stress from their lives and being able to access services. And then I'm coming in with really high quality, very, you know, experienced clinician who's just able to bring them that therapy to that to that space where they have that issue is really super valuable. So in addition to seeing patients, I also run a parenting with aphasia group that is through the National Aphasia Association. That's once a month. And I love that because I get to work with people all over the country and Canada. And that's a service for anyone who's had a stroke or a brain injury and is also raising kids because that's an underserved population. So National Aphasia Association was so excited to have that. That's wonderful. And then I've also started to do some consulting with Can Do Multiple Sclerosis, which again is offering health education, resources and support. For individuals living with MS and their support people. I'm on the advisory board of the Dementia Society for America. So I really am doing lots and lots of things in addition to clinical care because doing community health education and consulting is something that I'm really excited about. And I feel like my private practice has really positioned me to be a participant in things that I don't think I would have done before when I was at the hospital, honestly. Well, and it sounds like you had a pretty good setup at the hospital too, right? But you're absolutely right. When all of a sudden you're on your own and it's your own practice, I feel like like different opportunities open up, right? There's always great opportunities when you work at especially a really great, like well-known, well-funded hospital, right? But when you're all of a sudden on your own, like you do have more opportunities for consulting and speaking and, you know, doing all of these other things. So I'm very excited for you and for the people that you're helping that you're able to like get your hands in more places. Yeah. And I'm so energized. Like I was saying, like I work eight days a week and then there's a lot of stuff that I, I'm doing, but it's all enriching. For me, it is really, truly, as much as I give to others, I feel so much in energy and just like joy with all of these things that I do that the nights that I'm, you know, on a Zoom call, you know, my family understands. And I really love it. It's to me, it's it's the quality of my life as a private practice owner is I just never imagined it. I'm so I feel so lucky. Well, and I love, too, that you said that you hadn't really ever thought much about private practice, right? Like you were, you know, hospital based, like it never really crossed your mind. But it's also really exciting when we can, you know, open our minds up to new possibilities, right? So there's some people who get into private practice who they knew from the start that that's what they wanted to do. And there's other people who kind of, I think, surprise themselves and really reinvent themselves and reinvent their career because they have a private practice. 
Yeah, I think well, I would want it to be in a big hospital system because that's just sort of like how I started out. And the truth is that it's exciting to be in those early days of brain injury when someone's just waking up, you know, or to go from someone who cannot initiate any verbalization and get them to say their first word. Like that is amazing to be able to do modified barium swallow studies, have all the technology available. Like all of that was so exciting. The fact is I just thought if I was away from that hospital system, I wouldn't have access to that. And it's true. I'm not doing necessarily that type of care, but I just didn't know what I didn't know. And so now I have this patient population. And, you know, the fact is that you can have a stroke and a brain injury. Those initial days in the hospital are just the very beginning. People have so much recovery to make. And I have individuals who are living 10, 15 years post-brain injury And we're getting stuff done, you know, and that's a different type of challenge because you need to meet them where they're at. You need to figure out, you know, what maybe haven't they been exposed to, what was tried and maybe needs to be tried differently. That's a real, for how much I knew, I've also been diving into all kinds of continuing education because I need to figure out how to treat, you know, this high level brain injury. I have individuals, you know, in the D.C. area, we have a lot of people who are very have high government jobs who are working in secure environments. They need to have their cognition, you know, top, top notch level. And that's a whole new population for me. And so to be able to come in and say, how can we really get evidence based, personally meaningful situationally appropriate strategies in your hands, you know? So I really found that that's now the excitement that, you know, the hospital setting used to be for me. Yeah, I absolutely love this. And listeners, I'm sure you can tell how energized Lauren is. Like your energy is just exuding, right? And like, that's how I want people to feel about their practices and about their, you know, client population. There's so much talk about like the Sunday scaries, right? And there's so many people who are just like, you know, they love the populations they serve, but maybe they don't love their jobs or or maybe like you, they were content enough with their jobs. But like, look at how energized you are right now and all of the different things that you're able to do and all the different new people that you're able to help. What would you say is your plans for the next like six to 12 months in your practice? So every family member who sees how busy I am is like, you're going to have to hire soon. And I have to tell you, I have no desire. And I think it's because I am, like this practice is me. Who I am as the practitioner is really what I'm selling. And I have been in a hospital where I've had to hire people and train them and support them. And I've loved it, but I kind of feel like I've done that. And so what I'm hoping to do is to really expand the consulting part of this to try to figure out how to leverage maybe some different consulting opportunities, maybe getting into some kind of clinical education where I could produce some kind of resource, whether it's a course or a webinar or a book or who knows, something that would allow me to kind of capture what I'm doing and and put it in someone's hands. And so I do these little, um, I was, you know, every time I have a great session with a client, I hop on Instagram and I just kind of make a little post about it and I send it off. And it's kind of my way of capturing just these genuine moments that I really love. And it's it's sort of connecting. Here's the soft skills that I use, you know, perceptiveness and open-ended questions and active listening, like really exceptional communication skills, but also seeing the clinical presentation that's in front of me and then using the environment to come up with 
some kind of strategy, some type of therapeutic home exercise, something that really is like a spark to that client that means something to them. And I'm, you know, Instagramming it. So I'm sort of saving all of these little posts. And I've just gotten people kind of thinking, wouldn't it be great if there was some sort of how-to guide so other therapists could kind of learn from what you're doing? Because it looks easy on the outside, but it's really not. It's really sort of the accumulation of skill and just really wanting to connect with people. And so that's where I'd like to go. Now, when I'll have time to do this, search me. I'm not sure. You know, just kind of optimizing some of the stuff, you know, my documentation, I probably write too much, you know, maybe I could make that shorter. You know, there's a little fine tuning that I'd like to do, but things are really sort of, for me, it's kind of going into continuing to see the patients that I love and the families that I love to work with, and then trying to figure out how can I consult where possible. That's what I'd love to see this practice kind of turn into. And I've been you know, was, I was initially like, oh, I should hire, da, da, da. And, and now I just sort of have said, that's not for me, not for right now. Maybe I'll change my mind. But I think that's also freeing to be able to say, hey, this is su- successful. Why not scale it up? And the fact is, I love what I do right now. So I don't want to change it. Well, I love that, right? I want people to grow their practice to their desired level, whatever that is for them, right? And if people want, you know, help with hiring and that stuff, like I'm happy to help with that, right? But I don't want anyone to do things that they don't want to do for their practice. And also for, you know, there's different seasons of life. There are some times when it makes more sense to grow. There's other times where, you know, you're just really happy where you are. And Lauren, I'm so happy that you're happy <laughs> where you are. And I love what you were talking about with with the Instagramming and, you know, just kind of sharing what's working with your clients. Can you let our listeners know where can they connect with you on Instagram? Sure. So it's at Nurse Beach Citizens. I'm right there. I also will say one of the things that I think was really helpful for me is reaching out to some of the mentors that you had. And through being in the practice, people have reached out to me who are sort of like, how can I do this? Or or what was your recommendation be? Even just like business stuff. But I am open to, you know, a dialogue with anyone who's really looking to do this type of work. I think it's, I don't know that I would have gotten to this sooner had I seen me, you know, a version of me doing this earlier in my career. But I think it's really nice to see that there's innovation possible in this neuro rehab setting because it's so, it seems so hospital-based and it doesn't have to be. That's right. It doesn't have to be. It can be what works for you and what works for the clients that you serve. And again, I'm just so excited that you took this chance on yourself, right? And that you you shifted gears and because look at what it's turned into. And Lauren, thank you for being on the show. And thank you so much for sharing your story with our listeners. And I'm sure there's people out there who are like, oh my gosh, like I never thought that I could have a practice like hers. Like that's exactly what I want to do because I heard that Lauren was able to do it. Like I'm going to go for it. So again, thank you for being such an inspiration to our listeners. Oh, you're welcome. And as I need to thank you again, because that Facebook ad showed up at the right place at the right time, because for all the clinical experience I had, I didn't know anything about the business end. So I'm continuing to learn and grow. But I want to thank you because Start was a real igniter for this whole process for me. Well, I'm I'm happy that the stars aligned and that all um, worked out because um, you've really turned, you know, uh, a spark of something into like a really contagious flame, I guess, if you will. But anyway, it's it's going great. And I'm just so proud of you and so excited for what's to come. And please keep in touch and let us know how you're doing. I will. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for being on the show.
Okay, don't you just love Lauren? I love how she took her decades of experience and is now fully in control of her life and her clinical practice by having her own private practice. She is an example of someone who wanted something and went for it. If you would like to learn more about our programs and how we help support SLPs and OTs across the private practice journey, just like we've helped Lauren, please visit independentclinician.com. As always, thank you for listening, and please tune in next week for another episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. Till then. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independent clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.